Thank you for your generous giving week in and week out. Um, I'm just praising the Lord lately. The, the last three years or so, uh, He has provided abundantly. And, you know, we, we finished the year in a, a strong surplus once again. I believe that's three good years in a row. And we're in a sweet season financially. So thank you for your, your generous giving and excited about what God has in store in the weeks and months and years to come. Colossians 3 is where we are, verses 9 through 17. So please turn there and we'll look at the ESV translation. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. For those of you who are golfers in the room, I know you know this name, Jack Nicholas. Jack Nicholas has been known as one of the greatest golfers of all time. But do you know what made him so great? It was before every season, he would hire his coach, Jack Grout, and they would work days after days of going back to the fundamentals of the game of golf. He did this every single season throughout his career. And what Coach Grout would work with him on is he would work with him on his grip, he would work with him on his stance, and he would work with him on his swing. And it was all based on the fundamentals of the game. And that's what Jack Nicholas went back to time and time and time again. He knew that in order to be successful, he had to understand the fundamentals and go back to it. Because if a golfer did not understand the fundamentals and go back to it, there would be a lot of trouble for them in their game. As I think about this example, I think about what Paul wrote to us in this section of scripture, and that is he is teaching us to go back as Christians to the fundamentals. He was teaching the Colossians to go back to what they knew to be true and to hold on to that because they were, they were getting tempted by false teachers to go into a different direction. And what Paul was doing was he was saying, go back to the basics, go back to the fundamentals and build upon that. And that's where you will grow as a Christian. You will grow in your Christian living. And what are the fundamentals that Paul gives us in this section? He gives us four of them. He tells us to embrace four things, to embrace our new identity, to embrace our new community, to embrace our new wardrobe, and also to embrace our new playbook. So the first thing we are to embrace as Christians in order for us to grow in our faith is to embrace our new identity in Christ. Verses nine and 10, do not lie to one another, Paul said, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
Last week, I talked about how we are to put off the old self, our non-believing self, because when we were non-believers, we were dead in our sins. We were hopeless and helpless apart from God's mercy. We were on the track to hell. We were on the track to death because of our sins. But God, who is rich in mercy, he is the one who changed us and he set off our old self and he put on us a new self, a new identity, and that identity is found in Christ. It, It reminds me of that of a butterfly, you know, when a butterfly emerges out of its cocoon, it's, it's like a worm-like cocoon that it, it gets out of, and it bursts out of this cocoon into a whole new beautiful butterfly. That's the image that Paul is trying to, to get to us and at us. He's trying to say, you are a new image in Christ. Tear off the worm-like cocoon that has defined you. You are now defined by Jesus himself. But here's the thing I I want you to understand here. We did not decide to change ourselves. God supernaturally was the one who removed the worm-like cocoon on us. He is the one who completely changed us. And verse 12 makes it clear who was the initiating power behind this metamorphosis or new birth. Verse 12, Paul said, believers are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So how do we grow in our faith? Well, we embrace our new identity. We grip firmly on our new identity. And our new identity is a Christian. It's Christ. But God is the one who changed us. Now, I'm a good Presbyterian, and I noticed that word chosen. Did you? Chosen. We are God's chosen people. You can't get around the word. You just can't. It's all over the Bible. God chooses those who are his. He adopts us who are believers into his family. He does it. We have nothing to do with it. We are God's chosen people. You see the word elect time and time and time again. You see the word predestined. Predestination's mentioned five times in the New Testament. Five. You see it over and over and over again. You just can't get around it. And my friends that try to get around it, I go back and say, what do you do with these words? They're here. It's got to mean something. Well, it means what it means, that God chooses his people. Why? Because he does. Because he chose to. He decides to. It's not anything that we've done. It's not who we are. It's only by his grace. We were dead in our sins. And God is the one who rescued us from our sins and our selfishness and our dominion. It's because of his choice. And many of us think, well, that's just so unfair. Well, the reality is if, if God was a fair God, we would all be in hell. But God is a God of mercy as well. And so he chooses his people to be his own. And so I want you to just let that sink in for a moment. If you are a believer in Christ, you've been chosen by God. You have been chosen. And not only did he choose you, he made you holy. 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 We weren't holy one bit. We were dead in our sins. And the last time I checked, the sinful nature, you know what it does? It says, I want it when I want it. And I don't care what anybody else says. That's the way we were living, selfishly, sinfully. But God made us holy because he chose to do so. Nothing that we've done. It was him. He made us holy. And here's the beautiful reality. Why did he do all this? 
because he loves us. Unconditional love. Plain and simple, he loves us. Let that sink in. And if you haven't embraced that reality, then what hope do you have? How are you gonna grow in in your faith? How are you gonna fight the flesh that we talked about last week? It's not by just saying, I'm gonna be better. No, it's by embracing your new identity and accepting the fact that he loves you, he chose you. He made you holy. And he didn't just make you holy. He's in the process of making you holy. Once he makes you holy, he helps you to continue to be holy, to grow in your faith and to grow as a believer. You're not left alone as you fight with sin. His spirit is literally implanted in you. He's with you and he helps you in the fight because you can't do it alone. So not only are you to grip firmly on your new identity, but as you're fighting sin, like we talked about last week, we talked about getting rid of the old and putting the trash can lid over the, the, the dirty diaper, not going back to it. I can't just tell you, just put the lid over it and move on. No, you have to have the Holy Spirit help you in this. And how does he help you? How does he help me? He helps you by, by displacing the old life that you were living and replacing it with something so much better displacing it and replacing it. So putting on something so much better than what, you were, than what you were pursuing at first, like Jim was talking about earlier. Sinclair Ferguson, he said it this way, unless we engage in the negative things, we will make no progress in the Christian life. There needs to be an ongoing negation of putting off the old. He said, how will you overcome your addiction with lust as we talked about last week? It's not by tightening your fist and telling yourself to do better but by the grace of replacement, not simply by switching it off. You can switch off the images, but the thoughts still linger and lust remains in your heart. What needs to happen is you are to displace by fixing your mind on the privileges that are found in Jesus Christ, by filling your heart with the blessings that are yours in Christ, by flooding your life with the graces that Jesus is able to work in your life. So let me give you a couple examples. Do you remember that Zacchaeus guy, the wee little man? Well, Zacchaeus, his whole life before Jesus changed him, what did he do? He stole from people. He stole from people. He would tax people, and then he would tax them above and beyond what they were supposed to give. And that above and beyond that he taxed, he pocketed himself, and he took it for his own. He stole from people. Well, when Jesus changed his heart, what did Zacchaeus do? He stopped stealing. But he didn't just stop stealing. He displaced stealing, and he replaced it with something so much better. What did he do? He started giving freely. You remember the story in Luke 19? He gives out of the generosity of his heart. He's a whole new man. He's smiling. He's overflowing with joy. Why? Because he found something so much better. And he replaced his old selfish ways of living. He replaced it with something so much greater. It's better to give than to receive. To displace old selfish desires, replace it with something new. So if you're struggling, like we talked about last week, with sinful thoughts, what do you do? Well, you don't just say, stop thinking that way. Yeah, you gotta stop, but what else do you do? You replace it with something better. So what would I encourage you to do? You know what I would encourage you to do? I would start reading Revelation 20 and 21 and start learning about heaven. Start saying, oh my goodness, this is where God dwells? This is where I'm gonna be? What? This is amazing. And not only think about heaven, but also think about what God created now. I always tell people I love the months of April and October in East Tennessee. They're the most beautiful months and the weather's great. 
We are now October 1st, my friends. We're here in one of the best months of the entire year. Go outside and bask in God's glory of his creation. Be enamored by it. Be blown away with it. You'll, you'll replace your sinful thoughts and replace it with something so much greater and say, look at what God has done. Wow. So that's how this works. Again, you displace your old way of living by the power of the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own. And you replace it and ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to replace my selfish, sinful desires and replace it with something that is so much better. But I need your help because I can't do it alone. So how do we grow? We identify with our new identity. We grip, we have a firm grip on our new identity in Christ. You know, I mentioned you can't do it alone. You have the Holy Spirit who helps make you holy because you can't do it apart from him. But the other thing you have is you have each other. We have each other, a new community. We've got to embrace our new community. Verse 11, here there is not Greek and Jews, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. How can you live the Christian life? You don't just embrace your own identity. That's a huge part of it. You embrace each other, your new identity, because we can't live life alone. We can't fight our sinful nature alone. We have to have each other. That's what helps us grow. That's what helps us grow. But here's the thing that was happening in first century. In the first century, there were so many divisions upon ethnic groups and upon social classes, and they hated each other. You know, Jews, they hated Greeks, and they wouldn't even go into a home of a Greek, a Jewish person. They would say, those people are uncircumcised. We're, cir we're circumcised. We can't go into the Greek's home, and we can't eat the food that they prepare. That's how much they hated each other. Barbarians, they were known as people who were inarticulate, who had stammering speech, and they were known as their bar barbaric activity. But the Scythians were even worse than the barbarians. Uh, Josephus, he called the Scythians, he said, the Scythians delight in murdering people and are a little better than wild beasts. That's how bad the Scythians were. And the barbarians and the Scythians, they hated each other because they wanted to be worse than the other group. So they tried to one-up each other by being bad. And so they were all delighting on their distinctives. And they were saying, hey, we're a better people group than you because of these reasons. Paul is saying here, enough. Enough of these man-made rules. What Paul was saying here is, he's saying, you've got to be one in Christ because Christ is all and in all. Instead of different people groups boasting in their ethnic distinctives, we are to boast in Christ. And that's where we was getting at, he was getting at here. He's saying there's no place for racial barriers or cultural snobbery. But instead, you are one in Christ. And you are to be together as one in Christ. You know, this week on Thursday, we, uh, we met as a, a group of pastors. There was about 12 of us pastors uh, that met at a, at a local church. And it was really neat to be together again. It's, we, we hadn't met in several months. And it was neat because you had an EV free pastor. The senior pastor, Two Rivers, was at the table. You had a Severe Heights pastor uh, at, at the table. Uh, you had a non-denominational pastor at the table. Uh, then you had a conservative, biblically-minded Church of God pastor at the table. And then you had myself, the token Presbyterian, at the table. And we were all there just kind of talking about how do we impact the city together. And you know what was really neat at the end of it? I brought up, hey, guys, what do you think about praying? Like, we need to pray together or we need to have our churches come together or pray or something. And they said, you know what, Seth, what we wanna do? 
we want to get together every month and just start praying together. We just want to pray. Pray for each other. Pray for certain topics in our community. Let's pray. And I said, genius. So I asked Mark Hoffman at Two Rivers. I said, I said Mark, can you, can you host the next meeting? He said, absolutely. And we're doing it in two months. It's really beautiful because I left that meeting so energized because I thought, this is it. Like, we as pastors need each other. We as believers need each other. So let's set aside our distinctives instead of puffing ourselves up and saying, look at who we are. We say, you know what? We're in Christ together. Let's work and serve and pray together and love together because we're in the fight together. How do you grow as a believer? You don't just embrace your identity. You, you embrace one another and you say, help me in this fight. I can't, I can't fight my sinful flesh alone. I need somebody to help me. I desperately need another believer. Help me. So if you don't have another Christian friend that's helping you in your faith journey, grab them today at church. You know, call somebody this afternoon and say, hey, I need you. I need you because I can't do this alone. So the first two things that, that Paul gives us and how to grow is embrace the new identity, embrace the new community. The third thing he mentions is this whole new wardrobe. You know, believer in Christ, we have a dress code. We have a certain dress code and Paul gives us the dress of the dress code that we are to follow. And, and he gives us layers of clothing. You know, when I, when I get cold, I'm usually hot nature because I sweat all the time, but when I get cold in the winter, I, I layer myself up just like you do. You know, you put on your shirt, then you put on another shirt, then you put on a coat. Uh, some of you, some ladies I know have like five layers sometimes in the winter <laughs> just to stay warm. But you do that to keep yourself warm. You, you put layers on top of layers. That's what Paul is doing here with his new wardrobe. He's saying, I want you to keep adding to the layers. And here's your dress code. The first thing you put on is that of compassion. Compassion, it is the Greek word splanchnon, which means bowels of mercy, heartfelt, gut-riching tenderness towards somebody. So compassion means that you see somebody who's hurting, who's struggling, and you hurt for them. You yearn to help them. You have a heart of compassion. I think about Matthew 9 and Jesus' heart of compassion. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on the crowds. Why? Because they were harassed. They were helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus had compassion, a gut level, gut-wrenching, uh, heartfelt sympathy and empathy towards people who are hurting. That's what compassion is. That's the first layer of clothing we put on. The second layer of clothing is kindness. You know the Greek word for kindness? What it meant was it was wine that had grown mellow with age and it lost its harshness, wine. Jesus used the word when he said, my yoke is easy. It's not harsh or hard to bear. I think about Romans 2 when it says God's kindness leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. You know, the, the guy Augustine, Augustine, we all pronounce it differently, but Augustine, Augustine, what made him become a Christian? Obviously the Holy Spirit, but you know what, what was interesting? There were people who said, uh, Augustine, I want you to listen to this man Ambrose preach. You'll be moved by, by the Holy Spirit when you hear this man preach. Well, he went and listened to Ambrose preach time and time and time again. And Augustine said, I, I, I don't think he was that good. You know? <laughs> he wasn't a really good preacher. But over time, he began to meet with Ambrose and he said, you know what? Ambrose's kindness 
is what led me to Christ. It was the fact that Ambrose took the time to meet with me, to talk to me, to counsel me, to comfort me, to pray with me, to love me, to, to encourage me. That's what moved me. It was his kindness. It wasn't his preaching. It was because he cared and he was kind. That's what changed Augustine, kindness. So layer one, compassion. The second layer is kindness. The third layer is humility. In Paul's day, humility was a derogatory term for the Greeks. They despised humility because they said, oh, you can't show your humility. You got to be strong. You got to be tough. You got to look good on the outside. You don't need to be humble. It was the Christians who turned humility into a virtue. And who was the one ultimately who turned it into a virtue? Is Jesus himself. He humbled himself, became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He also washed his disciples' feet with a towel. You know, after... Um, my kids, we, we just got through uh, flag football and, and, and cheerleading season. And after a game, we would get them in that van and it really smelled. <laughs> Let's just be honest. I mean, I remember when I played sports in the football locker room, it was nasty, you know, smelly. Feet are smelly. Think about what Jesus did. He stooped down and he washed smelly feet. The God of the universe did that. If that's not humility, I don't know what, else, what is. There's a, there's a tradition in Birmingham, a church does, where anytime a pastor gets ordained, they don't give him a trophy. They don't give him a plaque. You know what they give the newly ordained pastor? A towel. And they say, here's your towel. Go and wash feet. Go and serve. That's humility. And Jesus exhibited it. That's who we follow. So layer upon layer, compassion, kindness, humility. The fourth layer I really appreciate is meekness. Gentleness, the willing to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. Strength under control, power under wraps. You know what I think about when I think about this? I think about those big buff guys that are gentle giants. You know, two weeks ago, I got to meet with Mayor Jacobs and he reminds me of that. He's this massive guy and you go up and talk to him and he, he's like, hey, how you doing? You know, just real gentle. And you're like, <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, Harry Reader, he, was, he gave an example, the late Harry Reader. He said he and his dad, they, when he was a teenager, they used to go to the gym and work out. And he said, they would all, he, he said, I was always intimidated by those guys who wore these tiny little tank tops and they had these bulging muscles and they just walk around with chicken legs and they're just walking around huge and they're walking around like, hey, and they, they look at themselves in the mirror and they're like, ah, and they start making these sounds like, and you just, and you can hear him all across the room and you're like, wait, who is that guy? And you look over and you're seeing this guy. He draws attention to himself. And he said, dad, I, dad, I'm intimidated by these guys. They're just bulging biceps and they're huge. And his dad said, you know, Harry, he goes, the guys that, that show off their muscles, they're not the guys I worry about. Because those are the kind of guys that are so insecure that when, when hard times come and they, they, they need their muscles, they run away because they're self, so self-consumed. He said, you know, the guys that I'm most concerned about are the guys who are really strong, but you don't know it. And they're hiding behind their, their shirts. Those are the guys I'm worried about. And those are the guys that you wanna call on when the going gets tough. That's meekness. That's power under strength. It's not showing off. It's, it's kind of unassuming. That's meekness. The fifth layer of clothing is patience, long-suffering, endurance, slow and avenging wrongs, restraint manifested. If you wanna live your life in unity in the church, there are things which are going to have to characterize your dealings with one another. 
Think of how patient is when God is with us when we constantly sin. We keep going back to the old because our sin nature wants it when it wants it. Think about how patient he is with us. In the same way, we gotta be patient with one another. If we're gonna grow as a church and and as, as individual Christians, we have to learn patience. You know, what makes a family so successful and strong over the years is they've learned to be patient with each other. The little, hob, the little habits that you have, mine's biting my nails and my kids always tell me, dad, quit biting your nails and they're learning to be patient with me. You know, those kind of things you just learn over time. You, you're patient with one another. That's a, another la- layer of clothing that, that Paul instructs us to wear. Put on this new wardrobe and be patient. And you know what holds all of these layers together? It's love. Did you notice that in verse 14? Above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love. The belt that pulls it all together is love. It's the glue that produces unity in the church and in families. It's love. Without love, you won't, you'll be a mess. You won't match. There are times on Saturday evening where I'll, I'll put on a different sport coat and a different shirt and pants, and I'll ask my wife, hey, Stephanie, does this match? And she says, that's a mess. She's like, you don't want to wear that to church. Trust me, that, that will not work out. And it's like, thank you, ma'am, thank you. In the same way, Paul is saying, you know, you need to match. But it's so tempting to go back to the old self, selfish ways. And then you'll end up looking like a hot mess. One thing I've learned over the years that I've tried to do, and I'm not great at it, is whenever I buy a new shirt or new shoes or new pants, I'll go to my closet and I'll hang up the new one and I'll, and I'll get rid of the old. But there's so many times where I have trouble getting rid of the old because I have memories in that shirt that I wore. I really like how that shirt looks or fits. But it's a, it's a good habit to get into. I'm not a hoarder by any means, but it's a good habit whenever you get something new, replace it with the old or replace the old with something new. You know what, what you could do this week? Is you could go to your closet and maybe get a, get a new shirt or get clothes, you know, get a, or get a new pair of shoes. If you don't have the money to do it, go get something that's different, you know, that's, that's, that's cheap and replace it with something old. And as you're replacing that old shirt with something new, think about the sins that you're struggling with and saying, okay, Lord, as I'm doing this literally, I'm replacing this old shirt with something new. Help me now to replace that sin I've been struggling with with something so much better that you have to offer me. You know, think about that this week as you're trying to embrace the new wardrobe that God has given you. The fourth and final thing that Paul gives us, he doesn't just give us a new identity, a new community that we are to embrace, and he doesn't just tell us to embrace the new wardrobe, but he tells us to embrace a new playbook. When I was in high school, I played point guard, and I played point guard because that was the only position I could play because I'm five foot nine. You know, they're not gonna put me at the center. They're not gonna put me at the wing. I'm, I'm, I'm short. So I said, you're gonna be point guard. Okay, because you're, you're closest to the floor so you can dribble good. So they made me point guard, and one thing I appreciated was one of my coaches, he said, all right, Seth, I'm gonna teach you as the point guard 12 different plays to learn. And then over time, I'm gonna let you call the plays. You're gonna learn to read the defense, and you're gonna call the play according to the defense that's set up and according to to what you think your offense can do. And over time, he gave me the freedom to make the plays. It was great, but he gave me a playbook to follow. And every now and then he would come in and say, no, do this play instead. And I would say, okay. Paul gives us a playbook to follow in these last verses. And I just want you to hang tight with me for these four minutes left. The first play he gives us is forbear and forgive. 
Play number one, forbear and forgive, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. You know, everyone here is on a journey of grace. None of us have arrived and none of us will ever arrive until we get to heaven. That's our arrival. We're all on a journey of grace. So we've got to learn to forbear with one another. One pastor said, forbearance gives latitude to the failings of other people. It gives latitude. We're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to sin. We will hurt each other. I will hurt you, hopefully unintentionally, but there will be times I'm sure I'll I'll hurt you. You'll hurt me. We've got to learn to forbear. That's what families do. And then as we forbear, we forgive. We forgive, Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Forgiveness does not come natural to any of us. But here's the thing, God calls us to forbear and to forgive. That's the first play that we are to do. The second play is peace and thanksgiving. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Peace, peace, an agreement. We're at peace. At one point we were at war with God, but now we're at peace with God because of Christ. You know what, what, what Paul says here, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. I'll give you another sports analogy. You know where the word rule comes from in Greek? Umpire. Everybody knows what an umpire does. An umpire in baseball calls, calls the shots. He says, strike or ball. He says, you're out. He says, you're ejected from the game if you're gonna get in my face. That's what an umpire does. So what is Paul saying here? He's saying here, let the peace of Christ be the umpire, the final word, the arbiter for you in your life. And as you are at peace with who you are in Christ, and as you are at peace with with others, you will live a life of thanksgiving. They go hand in hand. Have you noticed that? A few weeks ago, I was talking to Jim Cofield, and he said, Seth, the five years I've been here now, he said, the one value that I see here at the church as a staff and as as an elder board in church is peace. We value peace here. And I agree with them. We do. We don't like drama. We don't like messiness. We know we're going to be messy and we can enter the mess, but, but we, we want peace. We don't want division in the church. We want peace. We want harmony. And when we have peace, we overflow with thanksgiving. So play two is peace and thanksgiving. Play three is Bible reading and Bible sharing. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word dwell means to make a permanent home. So is the word of God permanently dwelling? Has it found a home in your heart or is it just an infrequent visitor? You know, play number three, the the play number three is, is Bible reading, let the word of Christ dwell, make a permanent home in you so that you can share it with others, teach and warn others about sin that we fight. And the, and, and the fourth, the fourth play is to sing and praise singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. That's the fourth play, is to give praise and thanks. You know, when you're at, when you're at a, a, an athletic event or a concert, you're singing, you're yelling, you're dancing, you're moving. Why do we sing here every Sunday? We don't sing just because we sing. We sing because we are to express our inner thanksgiving to the Lord. We burst out and sing and song and we praise the Lord. That's why we sing every Sunday. And Paul tells us to sing psalms. He's saying, go back to the psalms and sing. He's saying to sing hymns. 
You know what hymns were? They were new expressions of praise to God. That's why we even sing new hymns today. Not just the old hymns, they're great too. New and old, that's why we do both. Uh, Spiritual songs, spiritual songs are testimonies that are expressed in song of what God has done for us, like Revelation 5. Uh, A spiritual song is a testimony of God's grace in our own lives. That's why, again, we sing even newer songs and older songs because it expresses what God has done for us. That's why we sing. So how do you grow in your faith? You sing, and as you're singing, you're praising the Lord. And whatever you do, whether word or deed, you praise the Lord and you thank him for what he has done. Those are, that's the playbook that, that God has given us. And, 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 and if one play is not working well for you, try another play and try another play. That's the beauty of the Christian life. That's the beauty of the Christian life is God gives us so many things to reflect upon and ponder and to, and to even try. You know what made Jack Nicholas so great is not only did he meet with his mentor on a regular basis, but he practiced. He practiced that grip. He practiced that stance. He practiced that swing. In the same way, that's what it means to be a Christian. It takes practice. And it's a daily grind. And it can be exhausting. It can be hard. But the reality is, is we've been given a new identity, a new community We've been given a a dress code, a wardrobe to follow, and we've even been given a playbook. And so keep these things in mind this week as you continue to live this Christian life.